This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by trichologist Claire Fulham, chatting all things hair loss. I remember then going, I'm losing a bit more hair. Like I could see hair everywhere. It was all okay. over my desk oh, wow. and work okay. everywhere. And so I went to my GP. She found five big patches on my scalp, one the size of my fist. So I was like, right, what am I going to do about this? Give me a plan. She just looked me dead in the eye and said, there's nothing you can do. I went on list for dermatologists. She had a cancellation and she very quickly said, yes, you have alopecia areata. As ever available on all podcast platforms. The people here are not going to lie down. They're not going to accept it. And uh, as I said, the Russians will, will never take Kiev. They will never control this city. Today on the Indo-Daily, ordinary people surviving in a war zone. Bombing has intensified. Thousands of residents spending another long night in underground shelters. The Russian bombardment of Kyiv continued this week despite Kremlin claims it would halt attacks on the Ukrainian capital. Volodymyr Zelensky said the peace talks had been positive, but they do not drown out the explosion of Russian shells. A month on from the invasion and the toll the war is taking on ordinary lives in Ukraine continues to mount. But a defiant people refused to surrender. I even talking with soldiers in Mariupol. Uh, they are like, we will fight and everything, like, we will, we will not surrender. When you're a peaceful nation and, and when you've done nothing to, to warrant this, this kind of, uh, of violence against your country, then the only thing that decent people can do is, is to stand up against it. I'm Fionn Sheen and today on the Indo-Daily, we speak to war correspondent Anastasia Stanko, who has visited the besieged cities of Mariupol, Chernihiv and Kharkiv and Irishman Paul Nyland in Kyiv. So, Nastya, it, it's, it's over a month now since the invasion began. Can, can you just look back to that day? How was it for you? Where were you? And, and how, did you, how did you hear about what was happening? Um, I was in Kyiv, in the capital of Ukraine, in my apartment where we live with my husband and uh, our one-year-old son. My husband uh, said, it's starting. Uh, all this shelling and rockets and everything, like it's beginning. And we understood that we should go uh, to my parents' house who are living in the western part of Ukraine. It's uh, like 100 kilometers uh, from Poland border. Our son was crying because uh, he's so small and of course it's not the time to wake up for him. And uh, yeah, and, and after uh, like next day in the morning, I decided that I should go back to Kiev and I will, will leave our son uh, in my parents' house with my parents, and now I'm here in Kiev. You feel he is safer staying with your parents than, than being in Kiev? 
Of course, it's it's most safe place. But uh, my parents take my son to a corridor or some or basement uh, in the night, and it's awful. So you have that that constant worry. What what is life like for you in in Kiev? Are you still able to to live in your home? Do you have do you have power and water, and can you get food? On the left bank, it's uh, it's uh, like border of Kiev and Kiev region, and it's not the safe, the very safe place there. That that's why now I'm living in my friend's apartment. My husband actually went also to to my son because uh, actually he 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 is a software engineer and he is working, but he is waiting for a call from the army because he is also an officer. Uh, yeah, but they they don't need him now. But I think they will call him. I don't know tomorrow or next month or something like that. That because war is going on. Now he is with with our son, and I am alone in in the apartment of my friend. It's more or less safe, of course. It's also sirens, but I don't go to to the basement. Also, I just sleep in uh, corridor uh, all the time. We have electricity, we have water, we have everything. In Kiev, it's not like you know in um, Chernihiv, for example. Because today I was in Chernihiv, near Chernihiv, and the situation there is very bad because people don't have electricity, water for three weeks already. Uh, Tell us about your your work then. Are, are you are you visiting uh, cities on uh, places on the, on the front line? Are are you are you traveling with the Ukrainian army? How, how, what does it involve? Uh, mostly, I try to focus on uh, living of just civilians, just local people there in the cities. And what about what's the mood like with these people? Do, do they? Are they still are they still defiant? Do they do they still think it's important to to fight? Or are they are they are they upset and demoralized at this at this point? When we are talking with soldiers, for example, I, I even talking with soldiers in Mariupol, uh, they are like, we will fight and everything. Like we will we will not surrender and. But uh, when we are talking talking with just locals there, for example in Kharkiv, yeah, of course they are demoral- demoralized because you know mostly people who are still living in these bomb shelters, it's the people who don't have the opportunity to go somewhere because of money. They don't have money, for example, or don't, don't, they don't have relatives in the western part of Ukraine or abroad. They, uh, many of them are very old. Uh, some of them are ill. I mean, they have, for example, <laughs> dementia or another problems, and they like don't want to move somewhere. And it's very sad picture because. You know, that's old people who are ill, who can't uh, walk normally and they live in bomb shelters. Volunteers just uh, came and give them everything, food, uh, medicine, everything, you know, for 100,000 people. And it's uh, it's all the time under the shelling. And of course, it's it's very demoralized situation for them. But they they don't they they understand that Russia is trying to kill them and Putin tried to kill them, and they are angry because of this, of course. 
they want this just uh, to stop. Paul Nyland, we last spoke to you a, a few weeks ago. It was just after the war uh, had begun. And uh, what, what are your thoughts now on, on what you've gone through over the last month? And how, how have you personally kept safe? You know, in the, in the last month, um, I mean, you, you ask how I've stayed safe. I, I was in Lviv for uh, 10 days. Um, I went out there for business and for personal reasons. And uh, I drove back yesterday. It was a rather long drive. Um, but the day before yesterday, there were six ballistic missiles that hit uh, the outskirts of Lviv in western Ukraine. And then yesterday, as I was driving back to Kiev, I was uh, routed through uh, a city called Fastiv, which is to the south of of, of Kiev, and I, I was told that that was the safest route. And then this morning, looking at news, Fastiv itself was actually hit by uh, a barrage of rockets uh, overnight too. So, I mean, there really isn't anywhere in the country that is safe from from these war crimes that, that Putin is inflicting on us for absolutely no reason. There's no justification to this. The the Russian excuses for war are are fabrications. And what about daily life for you? How how has that? Is there any semblance of 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 routine or or normality for you over the past month? Or how how do you how do you operate in a in you know in a war zone? We we all had to uh, create a new um, a new daily reality. Um, I mean, it involves shopping in various different uh, places because there are shortages in in. Um, in the shops, um, there, there are certain things that are not available in one place that you can find in another place. Um, you know, I mean, the, the daily reality as well is that um, since the all-out invasion began, um, many cities have banned the sale of alcohol so that everybody is, you know, alert and, and awake. And, um, you know, if, if that's the kind of compromise that I, you know, I have to make and I, I you know, forsake a glass of wine with my dinner in the evening, then... That's really that's really nothing um, compared to the, the the suffering that is going on in the cities that have been targeted with with Russian airstrikes and missile strikes and artillery barrages. Um, you know, the, 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 there's one um, huge example of of an outright war crime that we saw in uh, the city of Mariupol. There was a, a theater there that was a bomb shelter where more than a thousand people were separated and, and Russia deliberately dropped, even though there was a sign painted in the car park outside that had the, the Russian word children in very, very large letters. Um, the, the, the Russians deliberately dropped a high ordnance bomb on that theater and um, as many as 300 people are believed to have died um, in, in that one single atrocity. What's the situation in Kiev at the moment for you? I mean, is there... Can you move about? Is there water? Is there is there heat? Is there electricity? Is there sanitation? Or or, or what what are you going through there? The, they are good questions because, in actual fact, uh, the infrastructure providing things like electricity and water is also being deliberately targeted, um, not just in Kiev but in in many cities around the country. We, we have had a uh, few outages of anything like that, despite the fact that um, that, that infrastructure has been targeted. Um, you know, the, the repair personnel have been uh, quickly on site and managed to, to get things uh, restarted fairly quickly. So, you know, in, in terms of the basic necessities here, 
um, in Kiev, we, we are actually okay. But I just mentioned the city of Mariupol. They have actually been cut off from supplies of water and electricity and uh, things like mobile phone coverage for three weeks now. You know, uh, and this is why when, you know, I'm, I'm glad to do interviews with, with people like yourself and to talk about the situation in, in the country. But, you know, why I, I, I tend to focus less on, on our situation in Kiev, which, though, you know, we, we live with the hardships of war, really the situation here is, 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 is it, it, it's not insignificant. It, we we do have these difficulties. We do have these problems. There is a constant threat, but but the situation in places like Kharkiv as well, in the the east of the country, forty kilometers from the Russian border, you know, where many many buildings, including residential buildings, including the the famous uh, university that's there, you know, they've all been struck, and and you know, Russia is intent on turning whole Ukrainian cities into dust. That that is what's happening across the country. And how how do you interpret the mood though amongst uh, Ukrainians at at this point? The, the defiance that was there in in the early stages has has that remained, or are people becoming um, more more weary and and disconsolate as time goes on? No, the the defiance and the resistance to Russian occupation has not dissipated uh, at all, not even remotely. Um, in any, if if anything, it's been heightened um by the, the the continuing aggression against this this country which you know uh, when 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 you're a peaceful nation and and when you've done nothing to to warrant this, this kind of uh violence against your country then the only thing that decent people can do is is to stand up against it and you know i mean i i count amongst my friends many people who have uh taken up arms and and are you know a, a part of the the war effort to uh, push back the the Russian invaders, um, but you know I also see incredible images of of uh, instances of bravery from you know occupied towns along the south coast of Ukraine, along the Sea of Azov. The the there are cities uh, like uh, Berdyansk and Melitopol where you know the the Russian army has seized control over those uh, places militarily. But they do not control the people there. The people there will still go out on a daily basis and march through the center of the city, waving Ukrainian flags and chanting that their city is part of Ukraine and they will they will not be occupied. So the, the, the resistance only grows um, and that is a natural outcome of being the victim of, of, of this naked aggression. You obviously have friends, neighbours, know people who have been, uh, who've also been involved in, in the resistance, either either locally or on the front line. Has, has anybody, has everybody stayed safe? Um, you know, or, or have... Have you seen death and injury come close to your own door? Uh, so the, the organization that I run um, here in Ukraine is our National Suicide Prevention Hotline. And our first goal when I created this was to provide a support service for Ukraine's war veterans, right? Um, anybody who has been to war has a higher propensity for potential suicidal ideation. And so I created Lifeline Ukraine specifically first and foremost for our veteran community, which means that I hired a lot of veterans. And all of all of my veteran colleagues have gone back to uh, uh, gone back to military duty. They are they are involved uh, you know, themselves directly in, in combat right now. I have not heard 
of any losses to any of them. Um, but the day before yesterday, another, actually one of my closest, closest friends, um, uh, he was uh, injured, uh, shrapnel from a, a mortar um, hit him in the face. Um, and I, I was speaking with him, you know, as soon as I heard about this and um, he was recovering from the operation to remove the shrapnel from uh, just below his cheekbone. And um, I, I spoke to him again this morning. I was going to go and visit him in hospital, but he messaged me and said that he's just not up for visitors today. But um, I, I'll be seeing him in, in the next coming days. And, um, you know, I asked him whether I asked him whether he thinks the scar is going to make him even more beautiful. And, and he laughed and then, uh, you know, asked to speak to my girlfriend and, and, and told her that she needs to ditch me and get together with him instead because he's a war hero having been injured. You know, I mean, this that's that, I mean, that's one example. Right. But this is uh, this is a great portrayal of the spirit of Ukraine. I mean, there is a person lying in hospital who's just been injured and and he's joking about things like that. You know, that is why this country will never be defeated because even when somebody has, has suffered a, an, an awful injury, he, he's still able to laugh and joke about it. And I, I have no doubt that as soon as the doctors give him the all clear, if the war is still ongoing at the time, then he will he will take his automatic weapon and, and rejoin the fight because that's... Because he's because he's Ukrainian, and and because we are here on our land, and and we're defending our country. That's that's what we have to do. What what do you make of of the suggestion that what Russia is actually trying to do now that the strategy is to just split the country in, in two? Effectively, have a, a Russian controls section and a, a a free independent Ukraine, albeit one under under constant threat from Moscow. So, um, you know, it, it was the day after Russia announced that uh, they were changing their strategy. They, they I mean, you know, wanted to present that the, the first phase of the operation now changes um, and the, the focus will be on uh, the Donetsk and Lugansk regions of eastern Ukraine. The day after they announced that was when these cruise missiles hit uh, Lviv in, in western Ukraine. So what, what Russia is is attempting to do is they're attempting to uh, distract um, and and uh, deny their ongoing attack on all of Ukraine, and um, you know it's it's interesting uh, to to look at that situation. And in actual fact, I saw a, a commentator um, on LBC this morning, uh, Rachel Johnson, um, who who was talking about Putin's uh, desire simply to hold those Russian-speaking regions in the in the east of Ukraine. And, and the fact is, is that the, the people of those regions, be they Russian speaking or ethnically Russian, they have no desire. There is no evidence whatsoever to suggest that they want to be subsumed by Russia. You know, that's what matters. What matters is the will of the people, um, the, the local populations there. And, you know, that, that that's why I point out that this notion of Russian-backed separatists is entirely false. On the ground uh, in Kiev, you, you mentioned to us previously that you are a member of the, the, the lo a local unit of the Territorial Army. What has that involved for you in, in, in recent weeks? It, to, together with volunteers from uh, the, the, the residential uh, complex where I live, um, I, I uh, have provided security. Um, uh, you know, we, we, we've essentially stood um, to make our neighbors and and uh you know fellow residents feel more comfortable and secure um by knowing the fact that there is somebody here that is is looking out 
you know, the, the, there's all kinds of uh, saboteurs and um, uh, Russian agents that are still active inside of Kiev. And so our role is simply as, uh, you know, to, to be lookouts and to communicate any suspicious activity that we see to other units of the territorial defense. And so we, we, we uh, are not armed with automatic weapons and, you know, standing on the outskirts of the city, um, attempting to stop the, the invasion of, of the city. We're simply guarding our own territory and we're simply, you know, standing our ground here and, and doing what we can to to contribute uh, in a small way to um, ensuring the, the peaceful existence of, uh, of this little corner of the city where we live. What about Kiev itself? Is, is there a view that uh, the city can indefinitely hold out or will this just remain a, a city that is, is under siege uh, for quite some time to come? Uh, Kiev, Kiev will always hold out. Kiev will never fall to the Russian forces. Um, the siege will continue. For as long as as Russia uh, continues with this insane idea of of potentially taking over the capital, uh, you know, it's the, the, I, I call it an insane idea because it's like their military planners are are looking at a board game like Risk or or, or doing some other kind of you know war gaming or something like that. It's it's like they believe that if they control the capital of the country, then the entire country is, is theirs. It's it that's not that's not how it's going to play out. First of all, they will never be able to control this city because of the fact, I mean, Kiev normally is resident to 4 million people. Something like 50% have moved away to uh, to safer locations. But that means that there's 2 million of us who are remaining here in Kiev. And I, I don't know what kind of army you think you need to, or, or Putin thinks he needs to, to hold and subdue this city. But... With, with two million people providing active resistance, I, I, I would say that they need to be putting, I don't know, eight million troops here, you know, four to one to be able to control us. No army in the world is that large. And, and you know, Putin's ground forces have been pushed back in, in every area where, they, where they've tried to gain control. And, and you know, if, if that happens to Kiev, if they were to breach the city limits, then... They're, they're in for a tremendous fight because the people here are not going to lie down. They're not going to accept it. And, and, and as I said, the Russians will, will never take Kiev. They will never control this city. And is there is there a fear that what we've seen happen in Mariupol that that Kiev could suffer a similar fate uh, in terms of just just choking and squeezing the the city repeatedly with with a with bombardments from from a distance that 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 could be a tactic that the Russians could adopt. So as as you were asking that very question, I can hear booms uh, from my living room. I, I I don't know whether that would be anti-aircraft fire that's outgoing from uh, Ukraine's defense or whether that is some kind of explosion that that's hitting somewhere close by. But yeah, no, certainly that's that's that that's precisely what what Putin intends to continue doing in Kiev and in other cities as well is to continue this this onslaught, continue this bombardment. Again, you know, I, I call the war plans insane because there is simply no way that Ukraine is going to capitulate to 
to to Putin's demands. I mean, you know, what, one of one of the main demands, as voiced in actual fact by, you know, the Russian ambassador to the United Nations, one of one of Russia's stated intentions is to denazify Ukraine. Well, I don't know how you can denazify a country that is not a hotbed of 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 radicalism to start with. I mean, the the the, the demand itself cannot be fulfilled because the 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 the, the big lie. The premise that it is based on is entirely false. I'm Fiona Sheehan, and today's episode of the Indo Daily was produced by Mary Carroll, researched by Tabitha Monahan, with sound by John Smith. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow, and leave us a review.